Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Higher Love, the podcast that poses the question, what if we quit falling in love and instead chose to rise in love? I'm your host, Jordana Levine, and this is a podcast series about love, yes, but a huge piece of the love puzzle is dating. And I'm not sure if you've noticed, but we've spent most of 2020 knee-deep in a pandemic, making dating a little trickier than we'd anticipated. If finding love feels further away than ever, and you're slipping in and out of, oh, I'm fine, and am I going to be single forever? Settle in, get your pen and notebook ready, because this podcast series is going to guide you into finding not just any love, but a higher love, pandemic and all. Welcome to the third episode of Higher Love. If you're tuning in for the first time, I urge you to go back and start at episode one. This is a 10-part podcast series, and through each episode, we will be building on the teachings of the previous episode. So please do yourself a favor and start from the very beginning. I hear it's a very good place to start, but also it'll make more sense. In last week's episode, we identified your personal vibration, and with the help of Beck, Courtney, and Phoebe, hopefully you were able to get familiar with how a strong personal vibration feels in your body, and how when we can work on keeping it strong, it's easy to identify when it's being compromised, i.e. the things, people, and experiences that weaken your personal vibration. This is a nifty tool to have for navigating everything in your life, but it's particularly advantageous when it comes to your love life, and more specifically, when you first start dating. In this week's episode, we're sticking with vibrations, but we're turning our attention specifically to your love vibrations and why it might be time that love gets a rebrand. Let's start simple. What does love mean to you? It's a difficult question to give a definitive answer to because love is subjective. However, love in its purest form is actually really simple. It's not a swinging pendulum of highs and lows. Love in its most purest state doesn't wax and wane, rise and fall, or turn from hot to cold. It's not reliant on external factors, and it cannot be defined by physical attributes, possessions, even wit or intellect. You see, love in its purest form is a state of being. It cannot fluctuate because it knows no bounds or conditions. Love is how we relate to the world, not how we perceive the world to relate to us. And this, I believe, is where love has gotten lost. But let's start pure and simple. I asked Beck, Courtney and Phoebe what the pure essence of love feels like to them. It's a warm energy. It's like when you're sick and you have hot chicken soup and it is the most soothing, comforting thing that you can put into your body. That's how I describe the vibrations that you feel when you think of love. Trust. For me, it's trust. It's trusting yourself to be open and authentically you. 
So to me, the pure essence of love is just that oneness, that just like togetherness and just feeling like you're just part of it all. Here's the thing about love. We focus so much energy on waiting to be loved that we forget that we are love. What you should be searching for is a love to complement your own. And that's easy once you've worked on strengthening your personal vibration, which is what we did in the last episode. The reason we all find love so bloody tricky is that we've piled a whole lot of shit on top of love. But if we strip it back to uncover the pure essence of love, you'll soon realise you've been love this whole freaking time. Okay, let's look at some of the ways we've tainted love. In the intro of this podcast, I speak about flipping the notion of falling in love to be more progressive, more rewarding. Can we rather strive to rise in love? This whole notion of falling is so dramatic. It feels helpless, like you have zero control and that you're at the mercy of another's affections. But we all fall quite differently. Some of us, like Beck, are too scared to fall at all. And that in itself is the issue with falling. Its intensity has us running scared. I don't tend to fall in love very easily. I'm a bit sus on it to start. And I think it takes a while for me to really dive off that deep end. But if you're anything like me and Courtney and Phoebe, you'll know that feeling of falling all too well. You definitely have them on your mind all the time and you start thinking about your future together and daydreaming of a life with them. You can't get them off your mind. I remember the first time, the exact moment actually, that I fell in love. Um, I'd sort of been able to keep him just at arm's length and then there was one night I had a moment, I'd had a few drinks and then I just thought, oh, crap, oh, no, I'm here, I love him, this is it. My experience of it is there's moments where it's just absolutely amazing, but other moments because it was such an uncertain sort of relationship I was in that it was almost worrying. I was like, oh no, am I going to get hurt here? And while this notion of falling definitely borders on the dramatic, the adjectives that we use to describe the romanticism of love are just as concerning. Crazy in love, madly in love, desperately in love. Should we not be striving for healthy, sane, cool, calm and composed love? Let's have a look at some of the other ways we cloud the definition of love. What about this notion of love at first sight? Again, it's so romantic to meet someone and know the minute you lay eyes on them that they're the one for you. And while this may be the case for a select few... Is it really a way in which we should measure love? I asked the women if they believe in love at first sight or if it's just a notion reserved for rom-coms and Kylie Minogue kits. I believe in attraction at first sight, but no, I don't believe in love at first sight. I really want to. Like you watch those movies or you speak with friends of their experiences where they just say that they looked at them and they knew they were the one. And I really want that to happen. I'm still hoping it will. I can't say for sure if I believe in love at first sight. I would like to think so just because I'm such a romantic, but I definitely believe in being able to look at someone and just knowing that there's something special about them or that there's going to be a connection. Personally, I'm sceptical of love at first sight. Love at first vibration, however 
at first energetic exchange, now that's a notion I'm more likely to get behind. This is why we spent the last episode fine-tuning your personal vibration so that you can identify when it's aligned with someone else's vibration. A love at first vibe, you might say. Okay, let's move on. For many years, the more complicated my love story was, the more I thought it was real love, deep love. The messier it was, the deeper the connection. What hogswallop. The older you get and the more love you experience, you're bound to get caught up in a few complicated love stories. Courtney and Beck share their take on complicated relationships with us. I feel like every relationship has been a complicated love. My first one was, you know, the high school boyfriend. And that was complicated because, you know, they're hooking up at school with other people or the, the school parties. And you do have those trust issues that start all the way back then. The second major relationship I had, it started as a bit of a secret and that's all well and good to be nice and exciting at the start but then when it evolves over time and you're still hiding out to meet up and keeping it from your friends and keeping it from your family, that's that's not great. That's horrible. In the end, that just implodes and, and kills the whole vibe, doesn't it? It pulls everything apart. The thing that initially was exciting for you guys is now breaking you up. My next relationship, I'd met this guy out socially and once we got to know each other, we were kind of misaligned in that I was quite the social bunny drinking, whereas he was out but not drinking. And he and his family went to church and that's not what I did growing up. But you know, it's about leaning into these things and accepting these things of other people. So I tried to go along with that, but there were so many things that he did that he shouldn't have been doing, you know, like gambling or or having sex. I mean, all these rules that he kind of had in place, but then he was breaking. So it was very confusing. And I guess it was my first learning curve to trying to open myself up to new experiences and understanding a different way that people had lived, but it didn't quite work. And then the last one was just so many red flags from the beginning, my last major relationship, so many red flags from the beginning from friends and family, but I just really thought he was the one. And I guess, yeah, I was making up stories in my head. I think because he was older and because he had his life under control like I did. He had property, he had a job, a university degree, he played sport on the side. So he had a lot going on and it felt like he was whole and that's what I like about people when I feel like they've got their shit together because I've got my shit together. So that's what draws me to them and so I think that's why I I was really keen to make that one work because It felt like he was ready, I was ready, let's get this together and make it perfect. But it wasn't. There were definitely times when I was thinking in my mind he will grow out of this stuff, but there were also times where I approached him about it. You know, friends would call me and say, oh, my God, I think I saw him in the club kissing someone in the corner. And, I mean, when this happened one time, I legit approached him and said, hey, did this happen? Tell me now. Because at that point, I was 27, 28, 
And I said, if you're not in this relationship for the long haul, I want to know. Tell me now and I'll tap out. I do not want to be 30 and single. Looked him in the eyes, said this. He looked me in the eyes and denied it. Denied that he'd done what my friends had seen him do and agreed that he wanted to stay with me. But I don't understand why. Why would you do that? When it all came out, you know, and the affair had happened, I was just, I'm sorry, I can't do this. And I left. To be honest, I really didn't go into detail because I felt like I had been so hurt by so many of these red flag moments that I didn't want to know anymore. The final one had come through and I'd reached my limit and I just, I just got up and left within a week and I was done. Yeah. So I literally fell apart at work. They said, you need to get back and be with your family. So they supported me in doing that and I literally packed up my life in one week, got on a plane, was back in Adelaide with my family and and then able to work from home for a few months until I was able to secure another job. But it was one of those moments where I'm so grateful that they helped me do that because you can see how I could have, because I was living in another state where I didn't have that many friends, you could have just stayed there and gone, it's just easier to stay and and live through this than actually escape and have that opportunity to start again. You know, I think every woman struggles with falling in love with the wrong person and knowing the right time to leave. And I think that comes with experience. I think that really comes with valuing yourself and really knowing what you're looking for and being able to walk away from the table and go for that and just dive in and commit to what you want. Now, I'm not suggesting we all go out and only accept simple, easy and drama-free love. I'm a realist after all. But it's so important that you understand that the pure essence of love the love that you already are, isn't defined by how passionate your arguments are or your level of emotional dependency. So who exactly is responsible for our perception of love? Where did the narratives of complicated love, love at first sight, kismet encounters and crazy love actually stem from? Well, we grow up reading and watching love stories, listening to emotionally penned love songs and fantasizing about starring in our very own romantic tale. Whether you're conscious of it or not, you're actually the lead in a story you've subconsciously written for yourself. This story influences the way you date, relate and welcome love into your life. This narrative is the lens through which you observe love. Looking through it, you determine what love is and how you expect it to show up. The problem isn't so much the story itself, but rather the foundations on which it's built. In the first episode of this podcast series, Phoebe told us why she believes she's still single. Here's a reminder of what she said. I've thought about why I'm still single so much. I used to think it always boiled down to a self-love thing, you know, not loving and accepting myself enough. But the past few years, I can safely say I definitely do really love myself. So now I just have a theory. It's an Eastern Suburbs man thing. They don't want to settle down. They've got too much choice and it's just hard to find someone to commit, especially being in, you know, my mid-20s. You're not quite at that marriage age. So it's a little bit of an awkward phase. But you see, Phoebe isn't the only one who has been telling herself a story about the men in the Eastern Suburbs of Sydney. 
These stories run worldwide, across genders and sexual preferences, and are more often or not assumptions, generalisations, and inaccurate and unfair predictions that subconsciously dictate the love stories we play out. I asked Beck what stories she tells herself about men based on their location. I don't think I think about men enough. <laughs> um, when I was living in Sydney and traveling to Melbourne for work, I think my general observation was that Melbourne men were a lot more easygoing. Like I'm talking real chinchiller types less faff and fluff and a lot less superficial than Sydney men. Here is more of Phoebe's story about the men in Sydney. I absolutely do tell myself stories about the men in Sydney. I'm convinced that they've all got Peter Pan syndrome and don't want to grow up and don't want to commit and that they've just got so much option and choice that, you know, they're not going to commit to a girl until it's time to, you know, put a ring on a finger. Courtney has her own story about what the men in Sydney are looking for. Absolutely. When I first moved to Sydney, the only guys that I attracted were really young. And at first that was all exciting and fun. But for someone who wants to be in a relationship and settle down, it was really hard to actually meet someone that was in my age demographic that wanted to do that. Because I just feel like the guys in Sydney are waiting so long until they just point to that young 21-year-old and go, OK, cool, I'm ready to get married now, let's do it. And I'm in this this age bracket that gets left behind. Like, where are the guys that want to date 36-year-olds? <laughs> now, I'm just going to step in here as the mediator and say men of Sydney don't at me. These are just stories. And you can replace Sydney with Adelaide, New York, Manchester or Barcelona. You can replace men with women. We're all guilty of telling stories. In fact, we weave such intricate love stories for ourselves and we use them to shape what we think love will look like for us, or better yet, excuses for why we haven't found it yet. Before we dive into the many factors that help craft our stories, let's hear from the women to see the current love story they're playing the lead in. My current love story is broken. I moved to the big city thinking... I would give myself more opportunity to meet someone. And unfortunately, I just keep having so many knockbacks that the story I'm telling myself is that I'm not enough. And for an extroverted person, I really seem to lack self-confidence here. And it's a cycle that I really need to get out of. My current love story is that it's got to be, you know, a dramatic whirlwind with lots of lots of ups and downs and dramas and, you know, the typical eastern suburbs boy just won't commit because he's got so much choice but eventually we confess our undying love, he finally commits and then we live happily ever after. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I bet Phoebe's love story sounds familiar to a bunch of you. And I know Sex and the City references have already made their way into this podcast several times, but that story has Carrie and Big written all over it. 
And therein lies the problem. Modelling our love lives on a story of fictional characters who eventually got their happily ever after is so very fraught. We'll unpick Hollywood's dictation of our love stories in a minute. But first, let's hear Beck's current love story. I don't think I had a love story. And I think that was a massive problem for me. You know, um, when we're growing up, we're exposed to so many things. Growing up, my dad always said, you have to kiss a thousand frogs before you find your prince. And you watch all these rom-coms and these rom-coms tell you that, you know, if you have a makeover and you get out of your overalls and pop on some mascara, someone's going to love you. And then you read these books and you hear these stories from your friends. And I don't think I ever adopted one philosophy. I think the problem that I had was I never had a love story that I thought was the pinnacle. Becky's in an interesting position here. It's almost as if the overwhelming amount of stories that we're exposed to can have the opposite effect on the story we craft for ourselves by paralysing us into having no story at all. Over the next few episodes, we're going to craft a new love story, a healthy, sane and rewarding lens for which you can view and experience love moving forward. But before we get there, let's look at what shapes these stories that we tell ourselves about what love should look like, feel like, be like. Hollywood. I use the example of Sex and the City in reference to Phoebe's story. And you might remember Beck referencing Big and Aiden back in episode one. Here is a reminder. I would classify relationships as Mr. Biggs, so those are your real serious ones, and Aiden's, which is your semi-casual ones, and, you know, you're consistently seeing each other. I would say that my last Mr. Big was two years ago, and my last Aiden was over a year ago. Even Beck, who was so adamant that she hadn't adopted love stories from what she watched growing up still uses fictional characters from her favourite shows as reference points for her own love life. Personally, I love myself a romantic comedy. I dare you to find me one that I have yet to watch. No, seriously, if you know an obscure one I've likely not seen, please DM me. And it appears I'm not alone in my love for romantic comedies. It seems that romantic comedies in particular but also epic love sagas like The Notebook, have influenced the way we expect love to play out, even if it's only subconsciously. I am so influenced by Hollywood. I love The Notebook. I've actually convinced myself that I'm Bridget Jones. I've actually had a few moments in my dating life where I've just thought I must be on The Truman Show when I genuinely look around the room to see if there's a camera. What's particularly interesting is the movie shows and books we attach ourselves to and seemingly identify with. And it's only when we step back and have a look at what we're aspiring to be that we can see there might be holes in the way we idealise the love we see on our screens. Take Courtney and Beck's most watched romantic movie growing up, for example. Probably subconsciously, I've based my idea of love on rom-coms you know, you are what you're exposed to. And from a young age, my dad actually used to call me pretty woman after the Julia Roberts movie. It's kind of fucked up because she's a hooker. But <laughs> I mean, our favorite movie growing up that we used to watch was Pretty Woman. <laughs> oh God, if you actually have a think about, yeah, that storyline and what happened, 
It was a bad learning curve, wasn't it? Now, Pretty Woman may be an obvious story that seems a little odd to be aspiring to uphold, but what about the less threatening, seemingly harmless stories, like those written by Disney and played to impressionable young minds? Ariel, Aladdin, Sleeping Beauty, all those movies that you grow up watching, not realising how much it's influencing what you expect of love and a relationship. And it always just seems to be this pattern, doesn't it, of the girl is lost and needs to be found and she needs this man to save her. I definitely feel like it sounds silly when you say it out loud, but it does feel like it is a narrative that we work towards. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Whether we're conscious of it or not, many of us, and yes, mostly women, are playing out this damsel in distress needing to be saved narrative that's been drummed into us since we were kids. But let's have a look at what the gals' favourite rom-coms are. Perhaps it'll give us an insight into their stories, but also a list of movies to watch this weekend. I love anything Nora Ephron. I think Nora Ephron has captured like the fragilities of 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 love and the very real aspects of love. Um, if I had to pick a favorite rom com, I really couldn't pick one. That's like asking a mother to pick her favorite child. But right now, if I had to pick one, it would be When Harry Met Sally. So what I love about the movie is that it's just so well written. The banter between Harry and Sally, the conversations, the debates, I think for me that really resonated. The level of friendship that they had really resonated with me. Um, And just the quotable bits of the movie. Like it it was a great movie. Can't fault it. I definitely think friendship is a very big element of a relationship because friendship is built on trust. It's built on respect. It's built on being safe and having someone know you and completely accept you. And I think that is a positive learning from When Harry Met Sally. The Notebook was another classic. I want that love, you know, that intensity. You want that. And That just makes it so passionate and explosive though, doesn't it? And a lot of the times when it is like that or when I have been with people and it has been like that, that excitement, that drive, that passion, it does seem to explode very quickly on. They don't last and doesn't end the same way as The Notebook. My favourite rom-com is probably Bridget Jones's Diary. It's so good. I think I connect to Bridget Jones. Like, I just think she's lovable, but, you know, she's hopeless in love and she can't get it together. And I just think, oh, sometimes that's me. (laughs) So, yes, there are still positives that we can take away from the films we watch and the books we read around what we want from love. But a realistic lens is of the utmost importance. Beck also notes, rightly so, that modern day romantic comedies are steering the feminist ship in a more empowering direction. You start to learn things from these cultural nuances that rom-coms give you and these concepts and ideas. And I think it takes a while to unlearn them. And the narrative of, of 2020 and beyond is more about empowering the woman to not be saved. We looked at things like Frozen, 
you look at a lot of the new Netflix rom-coms and it is all about the female figuring out what she wants and, and not necessarily needing a guy to do it all for her. While I'm not about to tell you to stop watching romantic comedies, I would never do that. It's worth noting that if you find yourself subconsciously waiting for Prince Charming to wake you from your slumber, or the English Prime Minister to knock on your parents' door and invite you to his niece and nephew's school concert, then it might be time to ask yourself if this is a realistic way to measure love. Parents. I'm not a psychologist. So we're not going to have a take a seat on my couch moment. I can't possibly attempt to help you identify every misgiving you have due to your parents' ability to love each other, or you, too much or too little. I simply want to bring awareness to the fact that the love, or lack thereof, you witnessed from day dot on this earth, has likely impacted the way you view, experience, and act out love. And subsequently, it's also shaped the story you tell yourself about love. I think my parents had an interesting but very traditional relationship where it was a 50-50 partnership. They had very defined traditional roles and it worked for them. It was one that was filled with a lot of love but a lot of understanding and it was like a well-functioning team like an efficient team. Dad used to always say to us, uh, you need to kiss a thousand frogs before you find your prince. And that always stuck with me. Um, you know, why do, why do we have to kiss a thousand frogs? And, and why do men have to be frogs? And does he have to be a prince? Like, can't he just be a normal good guy who offers to help you clean the house and buys you snacks? Can't you just kiss a few frogs and then find that normal good guy, that snack buying guy? It's really interesting because my sister kissed a few frogs and found her prince, whereas I've had to make out with a lot of reptiles. My parents' relationship is very solid. They are married 40 years this year. And their love story was very concise with what was done back then. They met, they got married, they had kids. And they lived very stereotypical gender roles. So mum looked after the kids and cooked and cleaned and did all the running around. And dad worked hard and was a breadwinner. Obviously, in this day and age, it's not typically stereotypical for genders to do the cooking and the cleaning for the female and the working for the male. So I guess that, for me, has exposed me to thinking outside the square with that and, and living beyond those ideals. So my parents' relationship is amazing. They're actually soulmates. So I feel like I'm very lucky to have this solid, loyal relationship um, to watch and to sort of mirror my own relationships after. I think their relationship has impacted me positively because I've never actually had a thought or, you know, considered that I wouldn't find the one or have a long and happy marriage. I sort of, despite, you know, my struggles in love, know really deep down that I will find that. Now, I'm fully aware that these three women come from pretty textbook happy homes, and there's likely a bunch of you trying to do love better after witnessing messy divorces, absent parents, and in some cases, no parents at all. The story itself is not important. What's more important is that there is one, and it's a story based on someone else's experience and does not need to be a story you replicate moving forward. Sometimes the story you tell yourself will mirror elements of what you've witnessed 
Or perhaps the story is purposefully different to the narrative that played out when you were growing up. It doesn't much matter. Both are valid. Having the awareness is what's key. The relationship between our parents or primary caretakers is our first experience of observing love in the wild. We are their impressionable audience and we witness the love they have or don't have for each other, the love they have for us, how they receive the love we give to them, the way they let us love others, and the way they choose to communicate with us about love. This is all just something to contemplate in your own love story. I think we'll leave it there for today. From now until the next episode, work out what the pure essence of love feels like for you and really dissect what is influencing and crafting your current love story. Everything from your favourite romantic Hollywood tales to your parents' relationship. In the next episode of Higher Love, we talk all about past relationships and heartbreak. It's the final piece of the puzzle that forms the current love story that you're running. You'll hear from the women about their experiences with heartbreak, what they learnt, and if and how they healed. But most importantly, you'll learn how to navigate heartbreak moving forward so that we don't take it as excess baggage into the next dating experience. If you want to explore everything we've spoken about in today's episode in depth, we've literally just scraped the surface. You can find everything in my new book, Higher Love, available to pre-order now through the link in the show notes of this episode or by heading to jordanalevine.com. As always, if you found value in this episode and you'd like to share it with your friends, take a screenshot on your phone and share it to your Instagram stories and tag me at Jordana Levine. Or another great way to show your love is to leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Until next episode, I'm Jordana Levine and you've been listening to Higher Love. 